This is Life I Swear, where we share stories and reflections from Black women about trials in their lives that have helped them heal, connect, and process. Every week, we hold space for storytelling that both challenges and inspires us to be good to ourselves. I'm your host, Chloe Dulce Livueso. Language. It is the energy behind the words we use and the words we hear that penetrate our sense of self. The language we speak into ourselves and the labels we internalize have the power to mold how we see ourselves. When it comes to our confidence and our identity, conversations around culture and race, and how we regard ourselves and our abilities, words matter. They can liberate or imprison us. I am in love with the way words, carefully chosen, can weave themselves together, and so it made all the sense to invite Eniafe Isis, the woman behind all her words, a fellow writer and a new friend of my spirit, to join me in having a conversation around language, race, labels, and how together they heavily influence the eloquence or the challenge in how we speak love into ourselves and how we believe in ourselves. Eniafe is such a solid woman's woman. This conversation moved me deeply, and I'm so happy to share it and her with you. I hope you enjoy. Eniafe, it is so wonderful to have you on. Um, And I just want to start by telling everyone how incredible you are. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you just have an amazing spirit. And instantly when we first chatted, I just like felt you through the phone. Um, And the topic of identity is something I think we both could talk about on end with no end. And I love that. We're going to get to that, to identity in a bit, but I think it also starts with where we come from. And I know your mother has had such a a role in how you view identity. And so I'm hoping you can start by just telling us about her and her spirit and um, how your parents' cultures influenced your upbringing and your sense of identity and love for language, which we all know you, Mm -hmm. um, we all know you for. My mother, Judy, uh, which a couple years ago, a friend of um, my sister, who then became a good friend of mine, Melinda, gave her this nickname, OG Judy. (laughs) And uh, she's actually not a fan of it because she's like, I don't want to be referred to as a gangster. (laughs) Um, But it's so aptly fitting because um, my mom, you know, has this quiet, I would say, force about her. Um, you know, she's a she's a quiet person, kind of a very gentle speaker, but she just has this force about her. And there's this um, saying about, you know, the world being scared of a woman because she's whole all by herself. And every time I read or see those words, I think of my mother. And that's who I have known her to be. Um, Of course, as I've gotten older and 
I, you know, she shares things with me about her life and we know each other more as a woman, woman to woman than, you know, daughter to mother. I know that she's been different versions of herself just as I have been. But since I've, you know, been her daughter, I just, I know she's just this extremely rooted, uh, very secure woman in herself. And it's something I greatly admire about her because we are very different in that way. I'm not as secure in that same way. I do a lot of constant like pep talking and and speaking into myself so that I can just really stand strong and be rooted in my worth and my value. And for my mother, that's something that is never in question. You know, it's kind of like she doesn't even necessarily speak to it because it's understood. She has always told us, my sister and I growing up, that, you know, we are everything. And that's it. You know, no question, no no argument about it. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's a little bit about Judy. She's probably the most intelligent woman I know just knows a little bit about everything. She's studied multiple religions. Um, she's an avid reader, which is why, you know, I read so mm-hmm. much. She's curious. My mother is so curious at 70. She still has that kind of little girl curiousness mm-hmm. about her. And so that kind of guides her in all of her her thirst, you know, for knowledge and for knowing. Clearly, I'm in love with my mother. Not to say, <laughs> though, not to say, though, that we do not have our own kind of mother-daughter battles because, as I said, we are very, very different. So we do have that. But above all of that is just a very um, deep, deep love for all that she has given me, you know, through blood, but just also all that she has just taught me growing up as her daughter. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And where is she from? I know you mentioned that you are, um, is it your, your dad's side that's Nigerian? Yes. My dad's side is Nigerian, Yoruba. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's from Lagos and my, excuse me, my mom, uh, born in Los Angeles, but um, her father was Native American, as far as we know, Blackfoot Native American. And then our family, uh, you're going to have to forgive me. I didn't go back and kind of look at <laughs> um, where like her, you know, her mother, her mother was born. But she mm-hmm. originally from from Los Angeles. I remember, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think I mentioned this, but when I was in high school, I lived with a Native American Sioux family for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was my friend, her mother, another friend who's now closer than blood, mm-hmm. and then three foster kids. And we lived on the Native reservation in mm-hmm. Tacoma, Washington, and in a two-bedroom house, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, my bedroom was the dining room. <laughs> and I, I mean, I was the only non-Native, but it was mm. such a, an interesting assimilation experience because, you know, everywhere I go, they'd always, like the, the Sioux 
um, people would always mistake me for being half native because mm. um, I'd be at the powwows, mm-hmm. fry bread, the mm-hmm. native and rec center yeah. of my world. So yeah. I have a special affinity to the that indigenous group for sure. Yes. Um, and it's actually, it's interesting you say indigenous, you know, versus native. Um, mm-hmm. Years ago, visiting a girlfriend in Canada, mm-hmm. in Toronto, uh, I said native. And she was mm-hmm. like, oh, girl, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? She said, that's a bad word here. <laughs> you yeah. say you say indigenous, but you, you do not say native. You know, you mm-hmm. don't say native. And I was like, oh, you know, oh, my goodness. So yeah. that in speaking about language, the older I get, the more and and kind of really coming into my gift and accepting my gift as a writer the more I've become consciously, sometimes overly so, of the words mm-hmm. that I use and the audience um, that I'm using them with or the person that I'm in conversation with because language and words have different meaning to all of mm-hmm. us depending on where we come, you know, where we come from, who our family is, et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And especially now during this time, I've become just super conscious of the words that I use and how, you know, how they land on, on other people and just mm-hmm. how I personally feel about them too. So mm-hmm. language is just so, so interesting. So interesting. And it's, this is really crazy, not related to this conversation, but last night I was doing research on the difference between cultural universalism and cultural relativism and ah. the, the relativism, the, the relativism is that every culture has its own context. Yes. Um, and what applies to one doesn't apply to the other. And my son's father is Canadian. Okay. And so every time I would go to Toronto, there's like, there's a big, there's a big community, indigenous community yes. there. And I learned that the hard way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that drew me to you is when I find someone who is in love with language as much as I am, mm. I am instantly drawn. I instantly draw closer. And you said something to me last time that I believe really captures kind of the power of language. Mm-hmm. We often find love in language and love in words because we feel we're able to be liberated by how expressive we can be, how we can express ourselves. Mm-hmm. But you've mentioned how you've also felt imprisoned by language at times, particularly related to labels around race. So I'm wondering if you can speak more to that, how race, but also the language we use around race has felt imprisoning to you. Yes. You know, I, this will be my first time really talking about this on a public platform Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to speak very slowly and choose mm-hmm. my words wisely um, because this is, I understand that it's very sensitive, but there's a big difference, as you said, you know, in our languages as far as they are connected to culture, color, and race. Having grown up, outside of Los Angeles, California, in uh, Riverside County, a little town called Lake Elsinore, where race was a big issue. And I was often the only person of color, little girl of color, in 
my dance classes, in my school classes, in extracurricular activities, my blackness was always at the center and not in a good way. That, what I will say, small aspect of my identity preceded me in every way. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way I can get around my race. My name tells you that I am of something. My color tells you the same thing. But to hang identity on the color that I am and the race that I am has always been to me in adulthood a burden. Mm -hmm. And I guess because the weight that it carries in America Mm-hmm. being black the weight that it carries in America. So right now at this time where we are proclaiming our blackness so vehemently, I'm I'm kind of taken back to my childhood how blackness it, you, you know it's it's pounded into you but not not in a not in a good way and mm-hmm. that's that is not all that I am. And Mm -hmm. I don't believe that I have to constantly restate the obvious to make it known that I'm proud. Yeah. Yeah. Or to make it known that I believe it honorable to be Black. It's very hard for me to even talk, like put the feelings into Mm -hmm. words because I'm still really trying to, trying to analyze it. You know, when I, when somebody describes me, Black is, yes, a part of that description, but it is not the sum of who I am, S-U-M-E. It is the sum Mm -hmm. of who I am, S-O-M-E. And I think that's my thing about race. First of all, it is a thing that was concocted. It is, you Mm -hmm. know, it is something was developed to, to separate us. And it has no ties to our our heritage and so it's a I look forward to one day being able to speak a bit more eloquently on it Mm -hmm. because like I said I'm still really sifting through my feelings Mm -hmm. it's particularly sensitive for me yeah (laughs) clearly no I I hear you I hear you um but I, I appreciate that breakdown of culture color and race how color plays into mm-hmm. that because myself 100% above anything lean on my identity of being part of the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. And there's a culture that comes with the, the various places I call home on the continent mm-hmm. being mixed and then race. It's like I'm, I'm first generation um, American citizen on my dad's mm-hmm. side and I, I just feel like there's so many nuances within race. And so when we bucket blackness into one label, one category, it feels uncomfortable to me because I've been exposed to so many variations of what black identity looks and feels like, smells like in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. you know. And so I'm half Congolese, but in the States, there's kind of this blanket label mm-hmm. and that doesn't that doesn't make room for variation within our experiences. So I understand that 
And then, but and then there's okay. there's also I've had some conversations lately since Beyonce releasing Black is mm-hmm. Black is King, which we all are very clear that it is heavily uh, heavily influenced by Africa. Mm-hmm. There's also this elephant in the room of a conversation that we don't often speak about between Blacks and Africans, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm, absolutely that's not a conversation that I really started to get into until um, years ago I went to Johannesburg and was in um, the car with a you know cab driver and he was you know just we're, we're talking and we land on you know kind of where, who are you where are you from and I you know I say oh well I'm, I'm African-American and he says well you were born in America right and I say yes he said so you're American I said, no, I'm African-American. My father is Nigerian from Lagos. My mother, you know, American. And so I am Mm African-American. And he said, but you don't speak, you don't speak your father's language. You're not, you're not from there. And I, you know, and while I, you know, respected his stance, I said, you can't really tell me who I am. I don't Mm -hmm. have to be that in your eyes but I say who I am. And that is also something that I got from my mother. You know, you say who you are, whether or not other people agree to it is not your problem. Your Mm. only concern is with how you identify and if that holds true to you. Mm. Yeah, and there's this Toni Morrison quote, um, I'm I'm a big fan of Ms. Morrison, where she talks about the function of racism and she says the function the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no language and you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Somebody says you have no kingdoms, so you dredge that up. None of this is necessary there will always be one more thing. Mm-mm-mm. You know, that, that's the thing too, this proving of who we are, this constant mm-hmm. restating of our labels and saying who we are and what box we fit into and how we fit into that box and why we are uh, allowed to say that we fit into that box. For me, all of that is, is a distraction those labels in essence have nothing to do with what you do. The race conversation to me is a part of that distraction because I feel Mm -hmm. that it is a part of this proving that we are Mm -hmm. constantly kind of called, pulled, required, feel necessary to do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, approving to it can be approving to you know white culture Mm -hmm. and the powers that be under white supremacy Mm -hmm. and you know the people that control the narrative and media and um what beauty looks like what strength is like but then it's also um it can be um choosing my words Mm -hmm. it can also be approving to ourselves because we've been so beaten down yes that we need to talk ourselves into the confidence in what we are and who we right. are. Right. 
And that I do understand that it is also a unifier. Black power has this energy. It unifies us. But I think a lot of that energy comes from the time at which Black power kind of came to be this statement of purpose and of influence. You know, so it's not only about the words, it's the time at which those words Mm -hmm. were born in the form that they Mm -hmm. were born into. So today, Mm -hmm. as you sit here, one of the things that you that you mentioned is race being such a small aspect of your identity. Mm -hmm. Where do you place race as an identity among other elements of identity that you cherish? And I ask this because last time we chatted, we actually both struggled with articulating another identity, mm-hmm. which is I am a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, and the list goes on. I am, you are a woman, mm-hmm. a creative, a Californian, an introvert. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. speak them for you, but I'm interested in knowing what other identities are playing front and center for you in this season. Mm-hmm. Other identities include with Michelle Obama's becoming that became a big conversation. And also I think it became a kind of a, a journey destination, so to speak, that we kind of all want to be, there's no sense, there's, there's um, actually no um, present tense of the word becoming like became mm-hmm. like you, you are it, right. you know, we all want to be kind of like it. And yeah. that is, that is the goal. To, to be it, to have arrived, mm-hmm. right? And I am not a woman who, I don't see myself as a woman who has arrived because I feel very mm-hmm. much that I am in search of and I'm actually in a phase of undoing and in a mm-hmm. phase of examining because I'm in the process of, do I think this? Do I believe this? Or was this a thought and a belief that was given to me? Is this my answer or is this somebody else's answer? And then even the questions, is that a question for me? Or is that a question mm-hmm. that, is some, that someone is asking to validate themselves in some way? Is that a question mm-hmm. that I should be concerned with? Or is this a question that is a distraction, distracting me from my journey, from my work, from my walk, from my truth, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a woman who is searching. And I think a lot of times that searching, you know, phase of our life is looked at as being lost and in a bad way. And I look at it Mm -hmm. as a wondering, both W-O-N-D-E-R-I-N-G and W-A-N-D-R-I-N-G. But if you talk about, you know, becoming and journey and curiosity and um, and discovery, which are which are all necessary aspects Mm -hmm. of becoming, you have to stray and wonder and wonder. And so I'm very much in that phase. And I'm also getting comfortable with being first of all, getting comfortable in my womanhood. You know, I'm coming up on 36 and I think to myself, that sounds very adult. 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. I feel a lot of times <laughs> that I'm not the adult in the room. Like I'm still looking yeah. around like, okay, who's the bigger adult? I need a bigger adult than me. Uh-huh. Um, but I am the woman. I am the adult in the room. And that's a different spirit and a different voice yeah. and a different energy that I think if it doesn't come naturally, you kind of have to step into it and choose it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, I'm doing that too. It's a lot of self-discovery right now. And I'm, I'm figuring it all out. And that's a perfect answer. I mean, that's, that's just as good as I have arrived. I mean, you know, as we're st- still and continuously learning, we shouldn't feel bad about still being the student of life right. because the, the caliber of lessons that we're we're absorbing and we're intaking are leveling up yes. as we're growing mm-hmm. and as our wisdom is expanding. Mm-hmm. I want to always be the student. I want to always be in search mode. Yes. Um, you know, obviously like you have to balance that with contentment with, you know, where you are and not feeling an urgency to race after something mm-hmm. that doesn't have your name on mm-hmm. it and that's following you. Mm-hmm. But to be thirsty for insight and thirsty for learning how to love better mm-hmm. and thirsty for learning discernment and perspective mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. I think that's so much more honorable than I have arrived and I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm good, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, it, it's interesting that you say that you mentioned the becoming because that was kind of my intention for 2020. The first week of the year, I, got, I gathered some women together. And one of the words that was like arising for me, it was undoing and then becoming. Mm-hmm. It's like taking all of the dusty labels off the shelf, yes. taking all the things that I used to be because of expectation mm-hmm. more than because of genuine desire. I would invest in things that I thought I was supposed to, but the becoming is really like stepping into like your presence, you know, and like letting that guide you. So I really appreciate that. You know, I just love to hear how other women choose to define themselves for the world based on what they need and what they claim for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. Our identities, our journeys, none of it is linear and all of the context around how we describe home or peace exists internally through our own like self-perception so what does being seen and heard in your truth mean to you um it's so tricky i think another thing that we don't talk enough about is that you know our truth changes there's a fluidity to it. And I think, you know, there are some kind of core truths that we have that are, you know, unwavering, so to speak. But then there are other truths that hinge on what we know or what we think we know or what we've thought or what we, you know, what we were taught. And then as we know more, understand more, or realize that what we were taught was not the truth, or, you know, maybe a version of it, then 
that that changes. Um, so to be seen and to be heard in my truth is to be accepted and understood infinitely, not finitely, but infinitely, mm -hmm. meaning that it's not either or, it's and, but also. And just as long as I am always looked at as this growing and constantly and consistently evolving being person and I'm seen as fluid and kind of not boxed in, then I'm being seen and heard in my truth as I am showing up in that year, in that day, in that, you know, in that moment. And I loved what you said about becoming as being representative of a presence, you know, and an energy that's an intangible that we, we try so very hard, I think, to make tangible because we want to make it kind of like solid and stationary mm -hmm. and concrete. Because that's what feeling or being established yes is, you know that's what arrival um, is like you're there right. it's etched in stone it's like you become mm -hmm. this statue of you know mm -hmm. of these attributes these roles these characteristics yeah and I think too that and I don't mean to interrupt you but I think too that that's what makes us feel qualified mm. sometimes to tell our story mm -hmm. Which is why I like to capture stories in the midst yes. of the story. And you and I <laughs> Which are the same in, in the, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's what makes an, a story to me so interesting. I mean, when we're still going through it and we're still processing. But I feel like for me personally, leaning into being a writer, I held back mm -hmm. so much because I didn't feel qualified yes. to to tell my story yet because I didn't know what the ending mm -hmm. was. And um, the truth is that we can either have a million endings or mm -hmm. never have one because ultimately, I mean, in, in retrospect, we don't end until, until we end. And even then, <laughs> right. you know, that still may not be the ending because of whatever legacy, mm -hmm. you know, we've left behind or whatever work mm -hmm. that we started that someone, you know, else has, has taken on and that is still not done. But yeah, I do find that storytelling as an art form has become a bit limiting because there is that that way in which we have taught that a story goes. There's the beginning, there's the art, there's the end. And sometimes there's not an end. You know, even in punctuation, I think about that a lot. Sometimes it's not a period. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. ellipsis. Sometimes it's a semicolon. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a mm -hmm. comma. Sometimes it's just a and but still. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of open-ended. But we want so much for there to be, you know, an, an mm -hmm. ending, we want so much for there to be um, a, a statement, a final understanding or something like that. But oftentimes it's a, uh, all right, we'll see, right. <laughs> you know, we'll see uh, to, you know, yeah. to be continued. So we're this, we're the same in, in that. Yeah. I love that you just broke that down in punctuation. Cause I've literally like, had that same metaphor 
to life in my in my mm-hmm. head through punctuation. Um, so I know you're a writer. But one thing, you know, we talked about last time that truly, truly stuck with me is, and, and you said this, what does it take for you to believe in you? It's a question I think we as women need to ask when we continue to habitually not have faith or confidence in mm-hmm. ourselves, despite the fact and really in the midst of already doing the work or doing showing up for the thing in ways that are actually already demonstrating how worthy we mm-hmm. are. It's impossible for us to do anything, no matter how well we're doing it, to convince ourselves that we're doing yeah. well and walking in our beauty or our queendom. Mm-hmm. To your point that you mentioned to the taxi driver, you can't tell me who I am, but we need to better coach ourselves and celebrate ourselves and constantly do that like pep talking that you were talking Mm -hmm. about but why do you feel you've personally fallen into this cycle of negative self-talk at times I don't know and and to be quite honest this is something that has become a kind of marker in this phase of my healing process is to kind of trace where this voice, this voice of doubt came from and why I hang on to it so much more than I hang on to all all the other things. I, my major in college was sociology, but it was going to be um, psychology. But one of the things I do remember studying as far as psychology goes is when a child's brain is really shaped and when they really begin, you know, to start remembering and and kind of retaining what they what they are being told or what is being felt, that happens at a specific time in adolescence. And I go back to my adolescence, the difference between the words of affirmation that I was given at home and the words mm-hmm. of doubt and just negativity that I was given in all of my other environments, school, not only from students, but teachers, after school activities, from my peers, you know, and I think at some point there was something that happened and this voice of doubt just really dug and bore a hole into me. And I've never kind of rid it myself of it mm-hmm. and so that's this inner you know voice of, of critique that is is in me and then has kind of bred itself over you know over the years and I have to vehemently fight that with mm-hmm. the voice of my mother the voice of my sister the voice of my friends my my you know my own voice and undo that like kind of like undig that undig that grave and so and I've realized that is a part of the work that is also a part of the healing um and it almost has become ritual to stand in front of the mirror or catch myself in moments of doubt which are more often than I would like to admit and say the opposite of what that voice is saying. This goes down to, you know, just even being beautiful. You are beautiful. 
you know what you know. You trust your intuition. It's like this, mm-hmm. it, this laundry list kind of like, uh, you know, of things. I answered my question as to, you know, why we fall into this cycle at times, but also how you're giving yourself grace mm-hmm. to reinforce a stronger self-perception, mm-hmm. you know, to counteract those negative voices yeah. Yeah. with the strong ones. So it has been so beautiful talking mm-hmm. to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. And I mean, part of my love for language and my love for conversation, conversation especially, is because, you know, through hearing, reading, learning about others, I think we also awaken to parts and pieces of ourselves that we haven't been able to put language to or haven't really been able to articulate Mm -hmm. and talk about. So conversation Mm -hmm. is so powerful and the tender conversation I think is the most Mm -hmm. powerful because that's often the conversation that kind of society beats out of us, you know, in so many ways. That's where all of the healing and the awakening to me, Mm -hmm. you know, starts to happen and understanding starts to happen. So no, it's mm-hmm. absolutely an, an honor. And I'm so just mm-hmm. consistently never surprised by the women around me and our grace and mm-hmm. our talent and our ability to kind of like persevere and, and grow beyond just expectation. Mm-hmm. So I'm never surprised by that, but I'm always motivated and pushed Mm -hmm. and inspired. And it is because of women that I've even been able to get to where I am. It's Mm -hmm. every woman's voice in my head, along with my own that every morning, you know, says things like, don't give up on yourself. Mm -hmm. Try it again, or don't try it again, rest today. Mm -hmm. But you know, try tomorrow, like you can do this, push, stay, pull, be still, listen, Mm -hmm. trust, you know, all of, all of these things that come from this circle of womanhood, you know, which is Mm -hmm. in itself, you know, a sisterhood. So the pleasure, all that to say, the pleasure is all mine. (laughs) 1000%. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. No, I appreciate it. And we will we will stay connected and we might do this again. Okay. I so look forward (laughs) to it. Thank you so much again. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to Life I Swear. You can follow Life I Swear on Instagram. And if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. And learn more at lifeiswear.com. I hope you join me next week for another episode. In the meantime, be well, friend.